you everyone for joining us 71 and counting episode number 71 um and we weren't sure what to title it coronavirus covid19 um the the the, the thing you just can't escape in the media in the news at the moment and we've we're delighted and honoured to be joined by the CEOs of uh, Craig and Rye's respective uh, professional bodies. Uh, Steve Jameson for, from the College of Podiatry here in the UK and, and Nello Marino from uh, the APOD A. So thank you guys. I know you're not just busy men in general, but busier now than ever, uh, I think it's fair to say, which we'll, we'll come on to. Um, everyone who's watching, please do take this opportunity to you know, write questions. We can't promise we'll get to all of them clearly the numbers are big um we'll get to the ones we can we're probably going to answer a lot of them anyway in the in the general discussion we have but do 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 not be afraid to fire questions into the comments and we'll do our best to get to them um so yeah obviously once again guys thank you i know you're super busy um let's talk a bit about just how busy you are um just, just how your life, all of our lives have changed recently, obviously, um, for, for obvious reasons. Can we talk a bit about how your lives have changed? What, what, what does your normal day look like now compared to what it has previously looked like? Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll pitch that question to, to Steve first, if that's all right. Sure, Ian. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, yes, as you say, our lives have changed uh, greatly in the past couple of weeks. Um, it's... It, we're all living in times that we none of us have ever experienced before. We always think from doing a risk analysis that um, pandemic is something that you always make sure is there. But actually, I guess we often think that it's never really going to happen. And uh, in our world right now, this uh, has changed the way that we think about things, the way that we work, the way that we have to support our families, our members, our healthcare professionals in general. Um, and so my day right now is because all of my team are home-based now, we've had to close the office. We closed it two weeks um, ago. And so all of our team are getting used to working at home, um, using Zoom and the various um, IT uh, uh, products that we can do to make sure we keep in touch. But, it, but it's because this thing is, this virus is changing so much and the stats that are coming out is so is so um, alarming and changing all the time that we've got to change and adapt on a daily basis. So, you know, thankfully I've got a really good communications team who support and, and help us with trying to collate the information that comes out and somehow tries to translate it into a way where we hope that our members feel that we're getting the information across to them that they need in such a a time where they are all struggling just to get the right information. Um, and so it's a bit of um, deciphering and uh, and translating really is is key. Um, I, I think we, we do a daily news um, letter out to all of our members now. It goes out about 6.30 in the evening and it covers everything that's happened that day. Uh, we've, we've now divided it up into the four countries, the UK, so that there are specific things happening in Northern Ireland, Scotland, England and Wales. So we're able to pull out the policies and the processes that are happening in each of those countries to help our members in those countries. But, you know, I'm the first to say that we're learning. Um, we're learning how to deal with this. We're learning how to get our messages out even better to our members each day. Um, and we'll continue to learn, and we'll learn by sometimes getting it wrong, sometimes getting it right. And uh, 
thankfully, and I, I was just saying earlier that we've had lots of positive results from our members today on Twitter saying, thank you for the information you're now getting out to us. It's really helpful. Um, and so, uh, you know, I hope that what we're trying to do and work in a different way has, um, has helped our members both in the NHS and those people in private practice because it affects both of them the same, but also very differently as well. And it's about trying to meet their needs um, as much as possible. So, yeah, a big learning curve for us all. And uh, I'm sure Nello will, will agree with me that um, no matter which country you're working in right now, which country you're, uh, you know, you're from, uh, we're all just struggling to get our head around all of this and uh, trying to work together to solve some of these problems. Actually, Steve, we've just had a whole lot of very positive comments about your daily emails. So that there are people saying thank you and congratulations for that. Okay, thank you. Yeah, I, I well, I, I I received that email myself, and um, yeah, it's it's hugely hugely useful to come out. And I know Nello, coming to you, I've been following the Apod A's social media channels, uh, obviously from a distance, and you guys are just as good at communicating with your members on a, on a daily basis as best you can as well. Yeah, it, look, it, I think what's um, there's obviously a lot of similarities as to what, what Steve's described. Um, similarly, from a workplace perspective, all of our staff are obviously working from home. Um, thankfully, we were well equipped to be able to do that well in advance of, of this. So that was probably the only thing we'd really prepared for. Um, as far as the changes are concerned, um, Ian, I think the to me, the biggest change that has occurred, and I don't think it's strictly restricted to us, is this uh, the pace uh, it's the pace of change that uh, we're being required to accommodate, uh, we're being required to adapt to, uh, and we're be being required to deliver. So in that context, uh, we're just seeing every organisation that we're interacting with, whether it be government, whether it be the authorities, um, you know, whether it be our members, the, is the, the fact is that we're required to adapt so quickly um, and in some instances, um, things are being achieved that would ordinarily be a, a slow-moving beast. Um, things are being achieved uh, at the, the blink of an eye. Um, so, you know, we can look at, look at really, um, I would say, fundamental issues like telehealth as, a, as an example and the introduction of some of, the, uh, some of those um, opportunities even as early as this week or recently as this week. Um, so we're being required to help help our members equip and so forth. Um, I think from a, a volume perspective, uh, we've probably, again, we've seen a, an enormous number of inquiries, whether it be through social media, whether it be through email, whether it be through our phones. We've effectively had about three or four, three or four people. We ordinarily have one person at a time on our phones. Um, we generally manage that load. We have a backup. Uh, we're, we're having three and four calls at a time. The calls are extending in length to what they would normally be. Um, so we're finding that the depth of response, so, so if you balance that against the fast pace, we're required to respond quickly, but also the, the information and the, con the, the complexity of the information uh, needs to be at a greater depth as well. Yeah, uh, to, to, to that, we'll, we'll talk a bit about the kind of calls you're getting if, if, if you don't mind speaking to them because 
Uh, I know uh, a physiotherapy colleague uh, involved with the CASP was telling me that the Chartered Society of Physiotherapy was telling me pretty much what you've just said, Nello, is that an average call to them uh, pre, pre-global pandemic took three minutes and most calls now are taking on average 20 minutes. So it's not just the number of calls going up, like you say, it's the complexity and the, the time each call is taking. Um, I'm guessing most of those calls aren't complaints per se, um, but uh, probably worries, concerns, anxieties. Could you give us a bit of an insight uh, as to what the sort of the most common calls you're receiving are? What seems to be the, the, the clinician's biggest worries and concerns? Um, look, it, it's quite varied, to be to be really honest, Ian. I'd, I'd you know I'd love to say that it um, it pinpoints a whole lot of things, um, but I think it goes across the gamut of um, uh, what should I be doing with my practice? Uh, how can I? Uh, are there going to be relaxation of requirements for things like CPD and CPR and some of the requirements of registration? Um, uh, how, what sort of government schemes are available for me to uh, find support, whether I'm an employer or an employee. Um, there's a whole range of, of other questions relating to whether they actually fit into those. Am I a sole trader? Am I a, uh, a contractor? Am I a, um, a business? There is a full gamut of, of uh, questions that are being asked, and I wouldn't necessarily pin it on one if I was to if I was to focus on um, perhaps the two that might be uh, most prominent is seeking advice about how they continue practicing and if they continue practicing um, and so we've uh, as I mentioned in a recent um, uh, a recent video that I, I sent to our members was that you know we're getting the absolute extremes we're getting uh, individuals that are asking about whether it's okay to, to close their practices. They are genuinely concerned about their, their health and the, the health of their, um, uh, their patients and their families um, from, a, from a safety perspective. Um, and at the other extreme, it's um, how do I make sure I get all my patients seen? How do, I, how do I make sure all these issues are dealt with? I've got patients that do need to see me. So um, I suppose the... Um, you know, that that seems to be a reflection of where it lies. It it really is the full gamut and to to identify one particular issue would probably be unfair. Ian, if I could, um, yeah, just follow on from what Nello was saying, you know, in the, over the past two weeks, it has been very much around, you know, what do I do with my private practice? Do I close my practice down? Um, what happens financially to me? What support can I get? What's the government going to do to help me? Um, but actually, you know, we've done a lot around um, uh, promoting what the government's saying and the various grants and bursaries and those type of things that are available to people to get some financial support. But what we've started to see in the past couple of days is much more about, um, I think as this whole virus is landing now, it's much more about the um, personal protection equipment. So the PPE, as we talk about, not being available um, to all of our practitioners, um, putting our practitioners at risk because they don't have the right equipment, um, the right uniforms, the right goggles, masks, etc., to care for, for patients. And the other one, obviously, which is very much a topic for us right now is the whole issue of testing 
um, and whether we should be testing all um, healthcare professionals, um, both from to see whether they've got the virus or had the virus and whether they're able to go back to work. The government here in the UK is getting a bit of um, uh, slating because of um, them not being as prepared around testing as they should and also not having the the equipment uh, available for those doctors, nurses, allied health professionals who need all of that protective equipment. And so we started to see a real shift in the number of calls about, you know, do if I don't have the equipment to wear, should I be even seeing a patient type question, which is very different to what we, we were listening to, say, last week or the week before. And I think it's because just of the number of people, uh, number of transmissions, the number of deaths we have each 24 hours in this country and across the world. Um, and I think people are now getting really scared that if they're not wearing the right equipment, then they too are putting themselves at risk, their families at risk, and the patients that they're caring for at risk. So um, something that I've done uh, for the past few days, um, I've written a number of letters to the Secretary of State for Health and also to the Chancellor um, here just really querying what's happening with uh, the, the um, equipment for our healthcare professionals and also asking about testing. Um, and I think we've just got to continue with one voice to find that drum to make sure that this is addressed because it's simply not good enough expecting our our people to go in to care for, for patients when they don't have the proper protective equipment or they themselves don't even know if they've had the virus or um, indeed carrying the virus right now. So a lot of a lot of things that we need to start focusing on, which our members um, have really turned to in the past few days. Yeah. An interesting point you make there, which I've definitely noticed, which is go back 10 days and the discussion was very much about just, just what about my business? Should I stay open? Should I stay closed? I'm not saying those discussions aren't still happening, but definitely as we see the numbers rise, I, I agree with you. It seems to be more now about PPE and safety and that of our own safety, our family's safety. So there's so many layers of discussion and complexity. If we could quickly go back to talking about the should we open, should we close uh, I don't want to call it debate, but you know what I mean? Because I know that that's the one I see most discussed on social media. I, I'm sure, you know, like you both mentioned there, you're, you're getting a lot of calls about it. Um, I was advocate when I, when I asked this question. So just before I do, just for context, for those who don't know me, just to make sure everyone knows that I do not have a dog in this fight. I am a private practitioner in, in private sports medicine. And as such, do not consider myself essential. I do not save lives. I'm not a, a one of those great podiatrists that, that are out there that are saving lives therefore uh, as a self-employed limited company i've completely shut down i've seen no patients this is the second week now earning no money so i just want to everyone to know my position when i when i ask these questions just for complete transparency um but let's go back to the big debate should we open should we close back you know back 10 days ago two weeks ago it feels like ages ago now but so much has happened um I got the impression that, that both all of all of your members, both of your members, groups of members were, were, were just looking to you for the answers. Just tell us what to do. And they almost seemed a little bit annoyed that you weren't telling them what to do. And then when I've seen various messages come out as as advice has, has evolved and, and Steve will come to your flowchart in a minute, if we may. And then I will come to your, your video as well. Um, and you have kind of given guidance uh, based on, on governmental sort of um, comments. 
people have inferred that that means one thing or another thing. And if it didn't seem to be in keeping with what they wanted, then they were angry. So they were angry when they weren't being told exactly what to do, but then they were being told, so what, you're telling us to close, how can we survive? Or you're telling us to stay open, isn't that, is, is that appropriate? So I, I feel for you guys, I wouldn't want to be in your position whatsoever right now. Um, Steve, let's come to you and your flowchart first, if we can, because I, I think the criticism I saw pointed at it, and it was, it was the attempt to sort of say to people, you're professionals who use clinical reasoning on a daily basis, reason your way through this chart as a sort of, uh, dare I use the word triage to see if this person is, is if it's going to be an essential care and, and essential service. And, and the criticism I saw pointed at it was about the, the gray area it left, the ambiguity, particularly around the word, around the word pain. I'm sure you've, you've, you've seen a lot of this yourself, mm. um, either on social media or it's come direct to your inbox. Could you just uh, talk us through the flowchart and, and whether it's going to evolve um, uh, and how you got to where it is in its current form? Sure. Um, and I think firstly, we need to say that, you know, when people are concerned and have got raised anxieties, as we all do with this, um, with this virus, um, when you don't know what the answers are and when you don't know what to do, we often just listen to the things. We only hear the things that we really want to hear. And I think um, that was one of the problems that we had initially was that our members were wanting us to say, you must do this, you, sh- you cannot do that. Um, and, I, and I think that caused a lot of, initially, a lot of anger, a lot of confusion, saying, why aren't you as a college of podiatry telling me what I should do um, and telling me should I close? And, and um, one of the real good things we felt about the flowchart was that it was able to give um, some, some um, process for individuals to think about, where am I in this? How do I go, go about um, navigating my way through this? and hopefully coming up with the right decisions. We know that there are patients out there who desperately need the care and attention and treatment of podiatrists because of their complex needs, and whether that's in the NHS or in, but in, in private practice as well. And so we know that if those patients aren't being seen by podiatrists in private practice, what will happen to them? Well, they will get infections. They will, you know, I don't need to go into all of those details because we know what they are. But, you know, the need for our podiatrists is still out there. What we've got to do as a college and as the professional organization for podiatry is be really clear with our members about accountability and where that sits um, and how accountable people are for making the decisions that they need to within their own clinical uh, sphere. Um, and, and the feedback that we've had now, I think that this has landed, that this flowchart has landed in, is that people are now, because they've been able to look through it a couple of weeks and actually understand it a bit more, that people are now feeling that it has been a help to them and it has been a guide to allow them to make the decisions that they need to from a clinical perspective. So, so it has taken a while, but I think that we are seeing that hopefully with that and with the daily updates and the guidance from uh, the Department of Health, NHS England, et cetera, and Public Health England, that we are now hopefully, um, you know, helping our members to, to feel that they have made the right decisions. Um, but I, I totally understand how difficult it was right two weeks ago when people were saying, what do I do? And looking to an organization like ours to say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this. But, but 
people have to be adult and make their own decisions on certain things as well. Um, but I, I, I think that so far, so good. And whilst it's been very difficult for people to close some of their clinics, and as you said, not be able to see any patients or income generate in any way, that's really very difficult. But actually, a lot of people have realized just what the professional impact and issues are. So they will get whatever support they need from us as a college of podiatry moving forward as well. Yeah, look, I have to echo those those sentiments precisely. I think, um, as uh, as I've said over the last couple of weeks, the it's been quite interesting to to see the reaction of individuals um, in our in our interactions with them. So, um, so as I, I indicated to our members, you know, we've seen um, a whole range of emotions, ranging from frustration to anger to um, uh, to just exasperation with the whole situation and and that certainly reflects much of the earlier earlier period of um, of some of the restrictions that were being placed um, we We spoke to the members or at least uh, endeavored to try to um, reflect to the members a whole range of uh, options available to us and one of the things that um, well, clearly as a result of some of the concerns that were raised, particularly online, to uh, a statement that we issued about about uh, a week ago, was that um, essentially there was concerns probably being reflected more from podiatrists interpreting that we were, we were almost encouraging or forcing them to shut down. And that certainly wasn't for, couldn't be further from the truth. Um, it was genuinely meant to be a reflection that there are a range of issues that are going on um, uh, in the heads of practitioners. Um, and ultimately the role of the association is to provide the information to, uh, as Steve's identified, to distill that information because there is a, I mean, apart from the fact that there is an absolute, uh, an absolutely enormous amount of information that's available at the moment is being bombarded. And uh, in addition to that, the fact that as an organisation, we're actually taking, making a point of bombarding um, members as well because we feel that they, they do and need to know. But the, in the processing of that, we're, we're trying to um, uh, condense and to distill and to simplify that information so that members are able to make informed choices about what direction they choose to go, whether it is a choice to practice, whether it is a choice to diminish their practices, whether it is a choice to close down. Our, our, our role in this, or we've always seen our role as not necessarily telling individuals what to do. That's for, that's for the registration uh, body to do. Um, and uh, in some instances, we will, we will call that tune if required. But certainly in the current climate, um, that's not the case. And, and I think, again, just to reiterate the, the rapid change, um, Ian, I mean, if we were to look, and the situation is obviously different in the UK, it's, a much, more, um, it's much more advanced than it is here. Uh, we're certainly seeing very positive signs at a, as a, at a population level that, um, to use the, the cliched term, that the curve is being flattened. Now, there's still a long way to go, but 
Um, there is no question that in the last week there has been a significant change to circumstances and we're likewise seeing um, much stronger um, uh, messaging coming out of government uh, and coming out of the authorities to suggest that um, what was feared uh, a week or so ago, and that was the fear was that everybody would be shut down, what was feared a week ago would be, um, has appears to have shifted. Um, we are likely, and I, again, I'm not a, not a betting man, but um, I, I think it's highly unlikely that, and certainly based on the messaging that's being received from government, um, it would appear that um, allied health, along with uh, a whole lot of um, medical, which goes without saying, doesn't look like it will be shut down. Um, I think there is every intention to, from the government to make sure that um, allied health is going to play a significant part in this because at the end of the day, we are trying to ease pressure on hos the hospital system. We're trying to ease pressure on the traditional routes through GP practices. And as a consequence, I do think that the view here is that allied health will play the role in, in supporting that. So, again, that's, that's not something that... Um, is coming from us. It's our job to try and interpret that and to guide that and to still give people choice because ultimately people make, will make choices about their own practice on the basis of what's the priority for them. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just follow up on that, Nello. I, I, that's my impression in the last few days, you know, reading between the lines, I think it's highly unlikely that the government's going to direct podiatry to be closed down in Australia. I think we will, they will let us stay open. It then comes back to the college flowchart, the information you've provided for people to make their own individual decisions. Um, but I, I, I will be very surprised if the, 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 the government does direct us to close down. I might not have thought that a week ago. I, I thought it might have been inevitable a week ago, um, but I think things have shifted recently. Yeah, and look, I, and I suppose from a, sorry, Steve, from, a, from, a, uh, from a, an association perspective, we're likewise trying to read the tea leaves based on the information that's being provided. Um, again, there at no point has there ever been a statement suggesting, you know, allied health will definitely be open and this is the way it will be. But, but part of our role is to try and interpret that. Um, but we're loathed to us also give information that isn't factual. Um, it's not, not our job again, and I'm, I'm being very careful with the way I'm presenting this because I'll never say never because the, there, is, there is always the possibility of those things occurring. But at this point in time, um, I don't feel that that threat is as prominent as it was uh, seven days ago. And, and maybe just following on from that, um, you will know um, that... Over the next day or so, um, we have got a hospital opening in London, which was only built seven days ago um, uh, at a, a conference centre in, in East London, uh, opening tomorrow for its first patients. Got up to 4,000 beds. Um, the second one is going to be opened in Manchester um, and then one in Scotland and Glasgow as well. Um, so we know that um, from an AHP, from an allied health professional point of view, podiatrists have to be part of that whole multidisciplinary team. We know that. Um, and what I've been doing, uh, spending a lot of time today doing, is preparing some work for the um, Health Education England and NHS England to make sure that they are aware of what podiatrists can and are able to do. 
and that it's not just physiotherapists, it's not just occupational therapists who are leading some of this AHP work, that podiatrists have got such a multi-skilled um, workforce across from paediatrics right through to, to old age, surgery, MSK, all of the things that, that we all know about. But there are lots of people out there within the healthcare profession who still don't really get what podiatrists can do and what podiatrists can do in a setting like that 4,000 bed um, unit that's opening tomorrow. So I've been writing to the uh, chief allied health professional and, um, and the secretary of state to say, look, these are the things that our podiatrists are trained to do, are experienced in and can help whether it's in intensive care or in uh, coronary care or whatever it may be. Um, and so we've just got to make sure that AR, our members are skilled and able to to go into those settings, but also that they are called upon to utilize the skills that they've got because they can work in so many different areas within these hospitals. So AHPs will definitely not go away. Podiatry, podiatry won't go away. Um, and actually podiatry is needed probably more than ever now because of all of these issues that our patients are facing. So we've got to bang that drum around AHPs and make sure that it's never taken away from us that uh, the really good work that our podiatry and profession can do in situations like we've got right now. Yeah. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, we've got the, the I'm just glancing down here at the, the questions coming in and we've got well over 100 people on and the questions are just firing in so we're definitely not going to get to all of them um one thing i will just mention there's an awful lot of chat going on in there about fhps foot health practitioners and just to the people that are making those comments continue to make them but i will not get dragged into that bullshit on this podcast so <laughs> we are going to move on and we're going to continue talking about um podiatrists and both in the uk and australia could we talk a bit about what options are available to podiatrists right now so we've got scenarios where the ones who are you know quite literally saving limbs in within the nhs probably continue to do so the ones in the nhs doing other roles my understanding is are being redeployed into you know other 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 areas we've got people in private practice who if they're only seeing certain groups of individuals whether it be just routine the right thing to do is to completely close if it's just sports injury like me the right thing to do is completely close and then the question is what what's what what are your what's your guidance or or advice based on your understanding of what we we should do you know we can furlough ourselves potentially depending on whether we're a limited company or an employee or whatever our private setup is but I believe if we're furloughed, we can't see any patients, not even the high risk ones. So there's, there's a few people in the comments saying, what if my clinic is, you know, the majority is routine, but I do have high risk patients in my private practice. Staying open just for the emergencies isn't really viable as a business. Furloughing myself perhaps allows me to financially ride this out and, and have a business at the end of it. But then furloughing myself means I'm, I'm not available for those, those kind of emergencies. It's not me in that position, but I've seen a few people in the comments that have talked about that. What, what's your take on the best way to, to play that? I, I use the word furlough and apologies, Nello, if that isn't kind of where you are in, this is my very UK bias here, but you know, you know what I mean when I use that term, I assume yeah. you guys are doing okay. something similar down there. So, yeah. yeah, what's your, what's your guys take on private practitioners that, that are stuck in that kind of place? 
I'll perhaps let you start with that one, Steve, because uh, our situation is is quite different. So I might I might hand to you for the moment, but I'll come back to it from our context. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, um, Ian, a lot of um, a lot of our members have been asking the same questions, and obviously, um, furloughing and and um, getting some financial support is where a lot of our members are um, thinking about right now. There are those people who are saying, well, if there's real shortages within the NHS. Can I go in and do some uh, work within the NHS? And absolutely, that that is right. I guess some of that will be voluntary, um, and that's the issue. Uh, but but the need is in the need is there for our members to be um, to be seen and to participate in whatever way they can within uh, the NHS. And certainly, if you look at some the big hospital, the Nightingale Hospital, that's opening tomorrow. You know. Um, a lot of the leadership skills that our podiatrists have at running their own practices, running and managing staff, that's the sort of thing that they're looking for within the, uh, within the uh, Nightingale Hospital right now, people who are able to manage teams and lead people through a process, lead people through a shift. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of our uh, members should think about utilizing their skills that they have in private practice and, and transferring those into the NHS right now. Uh, the four countries, we will see that their needs are, um, are really required. Um, uh, there are some members of ours who we know are, um, who are still um, opening their practices just to see those patients who are at risk um, and those emergency patients. But um, in general, I think most people are taking on board that uh, from private practice point of view that they are furloughing and uh, and doing the best they can by using their skills somewhere else. Um, obviously, the, the situation is quite different here, Ian, in as much as um, uh, certainly there's been a number of services closed down in Australia for the benefit of those in the UK, um, uh, so cafes, restaurants, uh, a whole lot of other non what would be regarded as non-essential uh, well, gathering places and services have been have been closed down. Um, certainly, there have been no allied health or medical services closed down, um, uh, including podiatry. And given the majority of our members are private practitioners, um, it's highly pertinent to them. Uh, and I suppose what's uh, what is occurring at the moment is uh, certainly what we've seen has been, if we were talk, to talk in general terms, uh, I would suggest that there's anywhere between a 30 to 50% drop in clientele for a lot of places, particularly a lot of practices, particularly um, uh, a number of metropolitan practices. Uh, again, where there are where the the uh, there are a range of range of options available. Um, but in addition to that, I think the issue of, um, to go back to that issue of uh, uh, determining what where podiatry does fit in, um, again, there is no question that uh, as a registered profession, as a skilled profession, as a, a profession that, um, unlike a lot, of, a lot of other allied health professions, um, uh, engages in a range of different uh, practices and um, and procedures that would be foreign to many other allied health professions in Australia. So um, there is a wealth of skills that uh, podiatrists hold. Um, so 
certainly to date and certainly over the last, uh, well, certainly over the last week, we've engaged similarly with the government to, to highlight the essential nature of um, certainly some of the, the treatments that a podiatrist would provide. Um, we recognise there are some, some treatments that may not be as uh, or may not be regarded as essential. They're important, but not necessarily essential. And so the narrative from our perspective to in, in our communication with the authorities and with government and to try and impress upon them the importance of podiatry um, uh, fundamentally uh, and at a really extreme level in saving limbs. Um, you know, this is, uh, this is a, and, and draw the extension to that in saving lives. Uh, apart from the fact that it's trying to save save uh, the um, uh, you know the presentation to emergency departments and otherwise for treatments that would ordinarily be able to be treated routinely by through the skills of a podiatrist, so um, that's certainly a, a similar line. Um, but as I say, the, the fundamental difference here is that there is absolutely no compulsion at this point to close their practices. Um, and I suppose what's what we're seeing occurring is the whole social distancing uh, restrictions that are being placed on individuals are prompting them to think whether they need to take up routine 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 care or otherwise. We just hope that that, that doesn't have the unintended consequence of those that genuinely need care. Um, having to uh, think twice about their, about their care because we would certainly encourage that to continue. And I suppose what, what we are seeing, and um, again, part of the discussion that we're having with government and authorities like private health, is trying to find alternative ways. So the introduction of telehealth that I mentioned earlier, um, the opportunity to at least to have some uh, monitoring uh, and consultations occurring through those means, at least provide some opportunities for practitioners to then determine whether something does need to be um, escalated and dealt with uh, as a priority um, more ma in a more manual fashion. Yeah, brilliant. So, to sort of summarise, I think if you're if you're in private if you're in private practice but in a position where you can furlough yourself and kick back and take the 80% or whatever it is, then, then I would do so. And your goal is to try and complete Netflix. Perhaps if you're in a position like myself, where you're not seeing any patients and you don't know in my head until the football clubs open up again. And until the golf tour starts again, and until the marathon start again, I'm, I'm not a podiatrist anymore until, until that time happens. So you could just ride it out or uh, you could quite rightly look to help out in the NHS, not just as a podiatrist, but Matt Fitzy, uh, just made a really good comment and it's gone from my feed now, which is a lot of our skills are very transferable and there are some podiatrists going into the NHS, the health service and helping, but not as, not as podiatrists, the health service have never needed, never needed help more than they do now. So we've, we've, we've got options available to us. Um, and like I say, we all have mortgages to pay and children to feed and, and uh, concerns around that, but we are in the position of a global pandemic here. So sometimes, uh, like you say, that for, certainly from a personal point of view, the right thing for me is to socially distance myself, not get on the train to London every day, because what I, what I personally, what I do is, is nowhere near essential. Can we talk a bit about students? I really feel for students right now, um, regardless of what year of study they're in. And there was a comment 
way, way back and I've totally lost it now and I can't remember who it was, so forgive me, but they were talking about, they were, they were intending to hire a graduate next year. And now, um, obviously, they're not too sure how that's going to work and, and, and all these things. What, what um, is in place to support students at this time? I presume they're doing all their exams online. Um, are they still graduating at the same time, on the same timeline? Uh, perhaps Steve uh, on first on that one. Yeah, um, Ian, absolutely. We, um, we're working really closely with the uh, program leads for podiatry across all of the um, 